Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word that speaks powerfully to us. We thank you for the good news of your salvation because you loved us so much. Lord, we pray as we reflect on your words today, your spirit might give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that we be, may, may be transformed uh, to, into the people you've called us to be and live lives that bring you honour and glory. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we start uh, reflecting today, let me share this story first told by a pastor named Colin Smith that I think uh, gets us somewhere uh, to uh, the, the, the crux of what it is we're going to talk about today. There was a man called Neil. He was in his early 20s and he began dating a woman called Sally. Not Harry and Sally, this is Neil and Sally. Uh, a girl he met at the office. This is how they met. And uh, Neil had a bit of a reputation. He, he had a reputation for being on the wild side and there were times when Sally felt a little bit you know uncomfortable with him but you know that things were going okay romantically. One night however Neil took Sally to a party where things got a little out of hand and Neil began drinking excessively. At the end of the night and time to go home uh, Neil having had many drinks he uh, decided to drive Sally home, but he was scarcely able to control the car. And then uh, a tragedy struck. The car careered off the road, hit a bank and rolled several times. And when the vehicle came to rest, both Neil and Sally were found to be unconscious. Several hours later, Neil came around in the hospital. His head was thumping and his body ached and he tried to remember what had happened. He asked how his girlfriend Sally was and the doctor said, it's bad news. She's paralysed and won't ever walk again. Obviously, Neil felt a bit bad about this, so he asked if he could see her and uh, the doctor said, no. Sally never wants to speak to you again. Sometime later, uh, after Neil had recovered and Sally was obviously uh, continuing her uh, rehabilitation, Neil received a letter, a letter from Sally's lawyer, a letter that said in light of her permanent disability as a result of his negligent driving, she was going to bring legal action against him. As Neil ponders this letter, he wonders how he could have been such a fool. It was just one night, but it has changed everything. He feels horribly guilty. He doesn't know how to live with himself. He has no idea what to do about Sally, who's extremely angry. Now, in that story, there are three factors, aren't there? There's the offence... Neil acting recklessly and irresponsibly and deciding to take Sally in the car and to uh, drive home drunk. There is, so there's Neil who's done the, the wrong thing. There's the offended person, Sally, who's very angry about the, 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 the series of bad decisions that have been made that have caused her uh, to become a quadriplegic. Uh, and then uh, we have uh, the, the offender, Neil, uh, feeling uh, upset, sorry for what he's done, knowing that he's at fault, but being unable to deal with Sally's anger. 
Sally is angry, and rightly so, at Neil for what has happened to her. And so, uh, as she tries to express her anger on Neil by, by sending this letter to the lawyer... Uh, Neil has to get a lawyer and they have to go through discussions about what it would take. And eventually, through various legal wranglings, they realise it would, uh, it would take some amount of money that Neil could pay Sally, which would go some way to propitiate, a big word of the day, Sally's wrath. That is, it would kind of... It, w- it, w- it would do something with her anger. It would, it, w- it would be some way of paying the cost of, of the anger that Sally feels at Neil. Well, at least I uh, managed to get money to help me and that's sort of somehow dealt with my anger. Propitiate is not a word that we use very often. But a propitiation is a a payment offered to placate anger, uh, usually of the, the anger of someone who has a right to be anger, angry because they have been offended in some way. Uh, it, it's a way of uh, dealing with anger uh, that satisfies the need for justice. And as we unpack our reading from the second half of Romans 3 today, we're going to see that this is what God does for us. He provides a mechanism to deal with his wrath, his anger against a sinful humanity. But before we kind of dig into that, let's just recap, as Paul does at the start of our reading today, what we've been talking about for the last few weeks. Uh, Paul says, verse 9, what shall we conclude then? What shall we conclude? How do we wrap all this up? This idea that we're all stuffed because of sin and it doesn't matter whether we're a murderer or a good Gentile or or a super-religious Jew or anywhere else on the spectrum of humanity. We're all stuffed because of sin. Even the holiest person you can think of falls short. What shall we conclude? that sin is a big problem. And Paul, uh, to to, to finish off this idea, uh, says, this isn't just my idea, this is an idea that's actually intrinsic to the Bible. And so Paul quotes from verse 10 through 18, seven Old Testament passages, one after the other, to drive home the point he's been making, that all humans are not righteous and in need of God's salvation. And we see them there, don't we, through verses 10 to 18, if you've got your Bible open. And as we look at those quotes, and they're quotes from uh, Ecclesiastes 7 and Psalm 14 and Psalm 53 and Psalm 5 and Psalm 140, Psalm 10, Isaiah 59, Proverbs 1, Psalm 36... As we see these quotes laid before us, we see that Paul is saying that the, the, the Bible backs up his claims, that, that sin is a big problem because it is a rejection of God. Verse 10, no one who seeks, that no one seeks God. There is no one who seeks God. 
And verse 18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. This is the, the, the starting place of sin with, with a rejection of God and His holiness and His purpose for our lives. And of course, our world today is full of people who reject God. And this is the heart of sin. A good person who rejects God is a sinner. Because not only is sin a rejection of God, but we see as well sin is pervasive. That is, it is in everything. Verse 12, all have turned away uh, and there is no one who does good. Verse 15, they, they have feet that are swift to shed blood. And verses 13 and 14 are about uh, uh, false speech. And verse 16, the, the fruit of actions and speech uh, and a life turned away from God leading to ruin and misery. Sin is not just the rejection of God, but it actually then permeates all of our life, the Bible says. And the final thing we see here is that sin is universal. It is, it is a problem for all people. We see that in the quotes from the Old Testament, but also what Paul then says after he finishes quoting in verses 19 and 20. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by works of the law, rather through the law we become conscious of sin. It's not just people who don't have the law who sin, but even those who do have the law, remember Paul's talking to Jews particularly in chapter 3, that even they are going to be found guilty of sin because the law is simply going to show them how far they fall short. These verses were not just written to condemn the Gentiles, as some Jews may have thought, but they were written to show that sin is universal, all of us stand condemned and sin is pervasive in our lives. When you get to this point in Romans, you ought to realise that there is no possible way that you can work your way out of this predicament by doing good. And that can be hard to accept. People think that that might be unfair. Well, how can God condemn me when I've done all of this good? You may have done lots of good things. But when you think like that, one, it's a failure to understand the, the holiness of God in that a, a sin against him is a big deal. But also it's a failure to understand even our own sense of justice. For if we think of some of, the, some of the, the people we might describe as bad in our world today, maybe a drunk driver like uh, Neil in our story, or a, a con man who steals money from little old ladies, or uh, a pedophile. Think about these people we condemn wholeheartedly as a society and, and think ought to rot in jail for their crimes. Well, we understand, don't we, when we think like that, the seriousness of their crime. And no one thinks 
that a pedophile who donated to charity for 50 years ought to get a free pass. No, no one thinks that a drunk driver who killed a young family in coming in the opposite direction uh, ought to get a free pass because for the next 50 years they gave up their time working for the salvos. No one thinks a con man who stole from little old ladies but gave all the money away to the homeless men on the street is a good, is a good dude. The, the good actions, we, we know good actions don't deal with uh, a, a, a sin, with crimes. They don't, they don't create justice. Yet when it comes to God, we think we ought to be able to pay off our sin in good deeds. We think we ought to be able to earn back our salvation to prove our self-righteous. But that is not how it works. To go back to that word at the start, propitiation, that the dealing with God's wrath, which remember is... Uh, what Paul has been at pains to tell us about uh, requires some way of placating anger. And God's anger at sin is not placated by donating to charity. It's more serious than that. Well, Paul moves to, starts to move to the solution. How can we get away from the wrath of God that has been revealed against humanity because of sin, our sin, which we are all responsible for? Well, it comes through faith. Verse 21, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The road to righteousness that the prophets and the law, the Old Testament point to, is a righteousness that comes not by works, but by faith to all who believe, Jew, Gentile alike. There is no distinction. And then we get one of the more famous verses in the Bible. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, verse 23. If you want to um, appear like you're a Christian who knows some things, memorise this verse, Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. People are going to think you're a genius. But that is a verse that really sums up all of what Paul has said to this point. That is like a summary verse. We are stuffed, we have all sinned, and we all fall far short of God's glory. The next verse is not as famous, but you'll do well to remember it, for here is the transition to what Paul's going to say next. But all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Now, we have to understand these verses in context, because sometimes what happens is... Uh, when we, uh, when we read that, we can end up with a, what we call a universalist position. People take these two verses on their own and they say, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Who, who is that all referring to? Well, it's referring to 
everyone. And we all nod, absolutely, we have all sinned. Well, verse 24 says, all are justified freely by grace through the redemption that came by Jesus. Therefore, it doesn't matter who you are or what you believe, somehow in the end, we're all going to be justified. But of course, the problem with making verses 23 and 24 mean that, it's, it just doesn't make any sense of what Paul is saying. Because it's clear, as you read Romans, that Paul believes that all in verse 23 does mean everyone. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He's been, we've been working that out for the last two or three weeks as we've gone through these opening chapters. But it's also pretty clear that when he says all are justified, he, he means all who believe. He just said that back in verse 22. The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to who? All who believe. At the next stroke of his pen, he just simply says, all are justified freely. He doesn't mean everyone, he means all who believe. It's, it's fairly straightforward from the context. We are all stuffed without Jesus and we can all be saved through faith in Jesus. We are all saved because of what Jesus has done, the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. But of course, the next question is, well, how can that be? How is it that Jesus deals with this problem of God's wrath at sinful humanity? Well, verses 25 and 26 get to the answer. Jesus' death pays the price and we are able to access that payment through faith. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of an atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Now, there are two ideas here that are important. The first one is propitiation because what we have there, sacrifice of atonement in verse 25, is the Greek word hilasterion, which, let me tell you, uh, I reckon has about four million words written about that one word, uh, in theology. Uh, hilasterion is a word that can mean a lot of different things uh, and when the NIV has used sacrifice of atonement there, uh, they're trying to get at the idea of propitiation by more easily understandable language. Not that sacrifice of atonement is particularly understandable unless you've got a, a deep knowledge of the Old Testament but the, uh, the, the word there, hilasterion, something means a word called expiation which I'm not, I have time to go into, uh, and others think means propitiation, and I think those people are right for reasons which I can go into if you ask questions later. But the NIV's got sacrifice of atonement there, uh, and you'll remember that the sacrifice of atonement was when 
the sins of the people of God were placed on an animal and then uh, the, the animal was sacrificed to pay the price for their sin, to, to actually, they thought, deal with God's anger at them for their sin. But of course, what we know in the New Testament is that was just a sign from Hebrews of what God was actually going to do with Jesus. So this first idea there, sacrifice of atonement or propitiation, remember my story at the start, dealing with the anger that someone has at someone for, for, for doing the wrong thing. This is what Paul has been saying, right? God is angry with us for our sin. Chapter 1, verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people. Verses 5 and 6 of chapter 2, because of your stubbornness and your unrepented heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. Verses 5 and 6 of chapter 3, if our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say? That God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us? Certainly not. God's wrath is coming our way because of our sin and our works will not placate him. You can say as many prayers as you like, cook as many meals for the poor as you want and it will not deal with God's anger at you for your sin. The only thing that will is Jesus, his sacrificial, sacrificial death. This is what deals with God's anger. This is what deals, turns God's anger away from us. Jesus is a sacrifice of atonement. He is a propitiation providing cover for us from God's anger. God's wrath is poured out on him instead of on us. God loves us so much that he has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. To read from one Roman uh, expert and scholar, Charles Cranfield, God, because in his mercy he willed to forgive sinful men and being truly merciful, willed to forgive them righteously, that is, without in any way condoning their sin, purposed to direct against his very own self in the person of his son the full weight of that righteous wrath which they deserved. Now, we, we aren't like this idea that much in 2020. The idea that there's an all-powerful heavenly being who is angry at sin, who, who, who feels righteous rage at the sin of humanity, at the injustices that we beset upon one another. In 2020, we want to talk only of like a fairy godmother who loves us, not a, a, a God of justice and, and wrath who wants this world to be put right and who hates sin. But here's the funny thing. It's actually only when we get to acknowledge God's anger at sin 
that we can see how truly loving he is. We have a terribly cheap idea of love these days. We think love is about uh, letting people do whatever they want as long as they don't hurt us. That's sort of like borderline negligence. We think that love is to be polite and allow people to just do whatever they want without any input from us. But love is not cheap. You might remember when uh, Steve Smith used to be captain of the Australian cricket team. Uh, and he's not anymore because he presided over uh, one of the most shameful moments in Australian cricket history where our team decided to cheat. And we were livid as a, as a country. How could he let this happen? And he was suspended for a year. But when he arrived back in Australia from South Africa where the crime had occurred, there was this moment where he was sort of begging for the nation's forgiveness and we weren't really sure if we were going to give it to him. And as he stood there, a broken man, having had his dreams kind of shattered, his father stood beside him with an arm on his shoulder. And even though he disgraced himself and his country, he'd probably put at risk uh, thing, sacrifices that his dad had made for him for years and years and years. His father stood there beside his son with an arm on his shoulder and said, I'm with him. If you're angry at him, be angry at me too. It was, it was really beautiful. It was love. It was love when it's hard and messy. His father entering into his son's pain taking some of the hits. And that's what God has done for us. You see, God's love is so real, so deep, so amazing. That when his wrath is kindled against us, and he knows that there is nothing that can be done to deal with it except for him to mete it out on us, and destroy us. What does he do? He sends Christ, his son, his one and only son, to be a sacrifice of atonement, to be a propitiation, to deal with wrath, to pay the price through verse 25, the shedding of his blood. And he offers us entrance into that sacrificial love through faith. And as God does that, he demonstrates his love and his justice. And in doing so, he has redeemed his people. What we need to do then is simply have faith let me read from verse end of verse 26 he did this to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus where then is boasting it is excluded 
Because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God a God of the Jews only? Is he the God of the Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Now, there's a bit of a specific application that I don't want to go into too deeply here for Paul's particular audience made up of of practising Jews and Gentiles. But the point, the larger point remains that works will not save us. The way of salvation is faith. Faith is what saves us and because of that faith in what Jesus has done for us none of us can boast none of us are better than any of uh, anyone else none of us can stand here and say well I'm not going to hell because I'm awesome no you are someone who has understood God's great love and you now look to Christ and his work on the cross for your salvation. Before we finish, I think it's also just important to say that faith is not a work. See, it's very easy when we realise that works can't save us to think, well, what actually Chris means is... uh, There's only one work that can save us, the work of of faith. But of course, that is not what it means to to have faith. We're not saved by our action. Let me read to you uh, what John Stott says about this. He says, It is vital to affirm that there is nothing meritorious about faith. Of course, there can't be, can there? Because if there was, then we could boast in something. And that when we say salvation is by faith, not by works, we are not substituting one kind of merit, faith, for another, works. Nor is salvation a sort of cooperative enterprise between God and us, in which he contributes the cross and we contribute faith. No, God's grace and love is non-contributory and faith is the opposite of self-regarding. The value of faith is not to be found in itself, but entirely and exclusively in its object, namely Jesus Christ and him crucified. To say justification by faith alone is another way of saying justification by Christ alone. And faith are the eyes that look to him, the hand that receives his free gift, the mouth that drinks the living water. As Richard Hooker, the late 16th century Anglican, wrote, God justifies the believer not because of the worthiness of his belief, but because of Christ's worthiness who is believed. You see, that is vital, isn't it? It's not that we don't do, it's not that charity, give, donating to charity doesn't save us, but believing in Jesus does. No, no, Jesus saves us. And our faith is a trust that that work has been done on our behalf. God is a God who is angry 
at sin, whose wrath is being revealed both now as we reap the consequences for our sin and will be revealed when he comes again to judge the living and the dead. And the question is, will you on that day stand with Jesus and allow his death and resurrection to pay the price? Will you accept God's love and so receive the gift of life eternal? Or will you try and get there by yourself and placate his wrath on your own merit only to fall so desperately short? Mm -hmm. 